0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. And amen. Thank you so much, Josh and Molly. And good morning once again to you. Uh, I tell you what, I look forward to the kids' Christmas worship every year. It is uh, not the usual form of worship, but it sure brings joy uh, to my heart. So thank you once again, kids. We want you to know this is your church, just as much as it is to the grown-ups, and so thank you for serving us in that way. If you want to be getting out your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, continue, continuing our Advent series about the gift. What exactly is the gift God is giving to us through Jesus Christ? You know, this Friday, my kids had a half day of school. It's more like a fourth day, maybe like a fifth of a day. They're there for like an hour. I don't even know why we do it. They're there for like an hour, and then they came home, and now officially starts Christmas break. So in my home, that means it's time for Christmas movies. Turn on the electronic babysitter, parents. You know what I'm talking about. And so we will, there's a lot of Christmas movies we like to watch. One of our favorites is Home Alone. Great movie worked for me when I was a kid, and kids today love it just as much. Uh, we love the movie Home Alone. And you know, in this movie, most of you have probably seen it. It reminded me a lot of the passage today, because in this movie, Kevin, he's a little kid, Kevin McAllister, you know, he, he thinks life would be so much better if he was just in total control. If people would leave him alone, if he was just there without his family and his cousins. In fact, he wishes his family would just disappear. Well, Then his family does disappear. His family accidentally leaves him. They go off on vacation without him, and he wakes up home alone. He gets his wish, and at first, it's great. I mean, he's eating ice cream while he jumps up and down on the bed. He's getting a whole cheese pizza to himself. He snoops around his big brother's room. His brother can't beat him up. It's fun. But pretty soon, he finds out life on his own. Uh, It isn't all he thought it would be. You know, there's a basement down there, and the basement's really scary, and he's got to do laundry. He's got to go buy himself a toothbrush. And then it turns out there's these guys around called the wet bandits. The wet bandits, well, they're out to get him. And then he ends up meeting this old scary man. He thought he was a scary man, but it turns out the man's not scary at all. In fact, he's really kind. He's really uh, wise, and he has this conversation with him. But we learn that even this wise, experienced, kind old man hasn't been able to get his life to work out. His relationship with his son is severed. His relationship with his granddaughter is severed. And so Kevin, he, he does his best. He concocts this plan uh, to defeat the West wet bandits. And I mean, he does pretty good, doesn't he? You know, there's, there's blow torches. There's flying paint cans. Hilarity ensues. But in the end, it's not enough. In the end, he still needs this old man to come hit the wet bandits over the head with a shovel. He needs... His mom to come home for Christmas too. That's what he really needs. You know, I think this movie illustrates something. It's in the heart of every one of us, in the heart of every human, there is both a desire to be in control, a desire to control our lives, and an incapacity to make things turn out right. Isn't that us? We want to be in control, but then we can't make it all work out all right. Well, today we're going to look at a passage that has really two of the most famous passages in all the Bible. So famous, we give them special names. We're going to see the Annunciation and the Virgin Birth, and both, both of these are written for you, for you, when you have that moment of realization that you can't make life turn out right. It's here to tell you this morning. You don't need power. You don't need control. You don't even need your cousin to stop drinking so much Pepsi that he wets the bed. You don't need any of those. What you need is faith. You and I need faith. And that's the point of our passage this morning. Jesus gives us the gift of faith. Let's look at the passage this morning. Luke 1, we'll start in verse 26. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, he will, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So almost seemingly out of nowhere, an angel burst into the scene to this girl Mary angel means messenger, specifically God's messenger. An angel, it's a being who arrives in our midst with news from another place, from another sphere and realm altogether. An angel is one who comes into our kingdom, but he's from the kingdom of our Lord. This angel, his name is Gabriel. That name means God's fortitude. It's a fitting name for the message that he is given. And Gabriel, Gabriel has a very interesting history in the Bible. So the last time we've seen Gabriel was about 500 years before this moment. And he, he appeared to Daniel. Daniel was there. He's reading and meditating on the words that Jeremiah had spoken. And Gabriel ascended to Daniel, but he's delayed. He is delayed 21 days because of an angelic conflict. We see in the scriptures, there's like this cosmic street fight between Gabriel and these three demons, we're, been, we're told, have been assigned to the prince of Persia. And then while he's in this street fight, another angel named Michael, he's the only other angel whose name we get in scripture. This angel Michael, he comes, helps Gabriel, and Gabriel escapes into Daniel's presence, from there to the presence of Daniel. This is crazy. There's not much other else like this in all of scripture. Well, when Gabriel gets to Daniel, his, his revelation to Daniel was concerning this figure called, he called the Son of Man. He tells Daniel all about this guy who would come called the Son of Man. And this Son of Man would be a divine Messiah. He would be one who God would give an everlasting kingdom. He would, his name would be great. He would have all dominion, all power, all authority. That's who this Son of Man figure was. Now, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were obsessed with this guy. They're obsessed with the Son of Man. Who could it be? They're looking for him left and right. Who could it be? How will he come? They they write all these things. They have all these prophecies. They're they're trying to figure out. They're looking eagerly, waiting for the Son of Man. But they get something they would never believe. See, what, what the Pharisees could never believe is that a powerful figure, the most powerful figure in all the Bible, would be a little baby born to humble parents in some backwoods town. That part they were never willing to believe. But Jesus, what's interesting is, throughout the Gospel of Luke, Son of Man is Jesus' favorite name for himself. He calls himself the Son of Man 23 times in the book of Luke alone. And here, in Luke 1, this angel Gabriel, he is bringing news that the Messiah is here. He is coming. This baby born to Mary would be this Son of Man that he had told Daniel about five hundred years ago, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. And so he gives Mary five predictions about the son. He let me tell you five things about your child, Mary. Number one, he's going to be great. Now, isn't that what every mom wants to hear? Your child is going to be great. Mary was probably on board with this. She's like, wonderful. In fact, he's really saying, your child, he's going to be the greatest. There will be no one like him. He'll be called son of the Most High. Now, back in that day, sons were conceived as carbon copies of their father. So you would be a son of something, even if it wasn't your biological father. You were a son of something that you imitated, that you mirrored. And so essentially he's saying, this son, this child, Gabriel is t- telling Mary, He's going to be equal with Yahweh. He will be the most high God. And then he rattles off three more things. He will be given the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. Now, y'all, these are these last three, these phrases together, these are each slogans tied to the Davidic covenant. So just like when I say, just do it, you know I'm talking about Nike. When the angel said these three things, she knew her jaw would have fallen on the floor. She knew Gabriel was talking about the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. She knew that right then and there, Gabriel had set off a hundred years old prophecy covenant explosion right then and there see, this Davidic covenant, it was all about this coming of a king, coming of a king from the line of David. And what this Davidic covenant was all about is that this king would represent the people. Under the Mosaic covenant before that, the the way it was going to work was that each person, everyone in the nation would follow the law and keep the law. And that's what was supposed to happen. Well, that never happened. That never got close to happening. But under, under the Davidic covenant, one person, One person, a king, would represent the whole nation. You may have heard of the phrase, the royal we. So when the Queen of England, when she gets up to make her royal address, when talking about her nation, she uses we. She says we. How can she do that? Why does she do that? Because in a sense, the queen is England. England is the queen. What we are seeing in the Davidic covenant is the royal we. See, the Davidic covenant revealed that the law would be fulfilled not by every individual keeping the covenant, but by a king who would represent the whole nation. But the problem was, as it turns out, sin is a problem. Whether we're talking about hundreds, thousands, millions of us, or talking about just one of us. And this is what unfolded in the history of the Davidic monarchy from then on. David, he was a great king. He was the greatest king Israel ever knew. But he was flawed, he was fragile, he was sinful. Even David could not keep the covenant that bore his own name. He was plagued by war. His own sin led to jealousy and rivalry in the family. He had one son start a civil war, another son started or attempted a coup. Later on, God would prevent David from building the temple because he said, no, too much blood is on your hands, man. You you can't do this. And then shortly after his death, his own grandchildren, will divide the kingdom forever. So we get this promise of an eternal kingdom, a king whose reign will have no end, and then two generations later, the kingdom's falling apart. It's divided forever. We don't even make it two generations. And of course, we know later each kingdom, in turn, will be conquered, will be enslaved, first by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians. And since then, there has been virtually no progress in this Davidic promise, up until this day, up until the day Gabriel talks to Mary. Because in this time, now the people, they're ruled by the Romans. There hasn't been a Davidic king since then. See, the man's attempt to fulfill the Davidic covenant, it has been absolutely pitiful. I mean, we're not, we're not even close. Have you ever done the thing where, you know, you got a ball of trash, and you see a trash can over there, and you go to shoot it, and you miss by like three feet? And then to your horror, you realize, oh, somebody saw that. And they look at you like, you are a sad human being. (laughs) This is us trying to produce one heir, one person who can be good enough to represent us. But the angel announces, but Gabriel announces, just when it seems hopeless and more impossible than ever, Gabriel announces, now, now. God is keeping his promise now. It's him. He's the one. Jesus is the one coming from David, but who is much greater than David. He will represent the people and do what no other man can do. He will have a kingdom without end. What we have been powerless to do, God will do through his power. That's what Gabriel is telling Mary. Now, Mary's got some questions. Obviously, let's pick it up in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Mary's got doubts. You can hardly blame her. You'd have doubts. I'd have doubts. Of course, we would. Especially considering this girl's life. She's probably 14, 15 years old at the time. Her life was never supposed to be extraordinary. She would probably marry very humbly, she would give birth to numerous poor children. And she would probably never travel more than a few miles away from home. As with all poor peasant girls in her time, she was illiterate. Her whole knowledge of the scriptures was just limited to what she had memorized at home, heard in the synagogue. She's a young girl that no one knew in a town that no one thought of. And God has just told her she is carrying the Davidic king who is also God. Oh, by the way, she says... Also, I'm a virgin, so how's that going to work? Well, I think it's worth noting here, you know, there's really two kinds of doubt. There's two kinds of questions we can have. There's a kind of doubt we can have that doesn't want to believe. It only wants to disprove. You know, it's, it's the kind of doubt that's prideful, it's stubborn, it attacks with questions, but is unwilling to listen to answers. Because this kind of doubt assumes it, assumes it already has all the answers. But then there's a type of doubt that wants to believe. A kind of doubt that actually wants faith. You know, this kind of doubt, it, it, it does produce honest questions, but then it stops to listen to honest answers. Even if those answers contradict you, even if those answers demand change, even if those answers demand sacrifice, this kind of doubt comes out not out of pride, but out of humility. And this is the type of doubt Mary has. She wants to believe. And she's humbly ready for God's response. And so God is going to give her the gift of faith. How? How does God produce faith in her? By showing her his power. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verse 35. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know, God can be frustrating in his responses sometimes. I'm sure Mary wanted details, like us. A lot of times when we ask God questions, we want details, we want explanations. We want want it to make sense. God, make it make sense to me. I think a lot of times we we want these details because we think it's at least partly up to us. You know, it's kind of our way of saying, hey, okay, God, explain to me, God, how you want me to do this. And God answers Mary by saying, you're not going to do this. I'm going to do it all. In fact, he tells her he is going to do something completely unique. So miraculous, it will only happen once in the history of the world. So unbelievable, only God can do this. And it may seem counterintuitive, may not be what we expect, but this this mystery, this something so powerful, so unique, it produces wonder and faith all at the same time. And so the angel tells her about, really, it's the virgin conception. So we usually talk about this time of year, the virgin birth, But y'all, the birth is the least surprising thing about this situation. The birth was normal. It was everyday. It was mundane. It's something that's literally happened billions of times. The conception, the conception of Jesus Christ was completely unique, completely supernatural. It only happens once. And the angel tells us that God's going to enter this world directly in the person of his son, begotten by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so because of this, because of this process, the angel says, he will be holy. And this is why the conception is so important. Because God is fixing our central problem. The problem under the Mosaic covenant or the Davidic covenant or any covenant is the same. The problem is sin. All humans since Adam have been born with our natures tainted with sin. So to be in Adam, to be in the normal human race as we know it, is to be in sin. We are unable not to sin. Now, you may say that's not fair. And you may say, no, that's not true. I make my own choices. I'm free. I do whatever I want to. But y'all, this is the most scientifically verifiable fact in the human history. I looked it up today. There have been 107 billion people born in the world. 107 billion people. You know how many of those have sinned, have struggled, have been broken? 107 billion. Every single person you know that you've met and you'll never meet. Every single one of us. Y'all, we're batting a 1,000 when it comes to sin. And so we think we're free to make our own decisions, but our culture is often terribly mistaken on what freedom means. See, we are free to choose. We are free to choose according to our nature according to what we are like, but we cannot choose against our nature. So think of it this way. A dog doesn't wake up in the morning trying to decide whether or not he's going to fly today. He can't. It's not in his nature. He cannot fly. We are unable not to sin. That's our nature. We cannot choose against it. But not Jesus. You see, when Gabriel says Jesus will be holy, he's saying he can fly. His nature is different. He is not like you. He is going to be fully man, like us in every way except one, born without sin. He has a human nature untouched by sin. How can this be? Because his conception is different. He is not in Adam like us. He is conceived as a miracle by the Holy Spirit, so he does not share our sin nature. Now, this is a miracle only God can do. In fact, C.S. Lewis argues it is the miracle of Christianity. Listen to what he says. He says the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. Just as every natural event is the manifestation at a particular place and moment of nature's total character... So every particular Christian miracle manifests at a particular place and moment the character and significance of the Incarnation. Our whole faith, men and women, is wrapped up in the truth of God becoming a sinless man. All the promises of the Davidic Covenant, all the promises of the Son of Man establishing God's kingdom, they all result from this miraculous conception. So, you know, you you may be here this morning and think, you know, the virgin birth, is not important. You know, or maybe it's just too unbelievable. That is simply too unbelievable. I simply, it simply can't be true. But for 2,000 years, amidst the ridicule of every generation, the church has proclaimed otherwise. We see it from the early church in the Nicene Creed that says, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, of the same essence of the Father, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. We hear it in the second verse of Charles Wesley's song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. I could go on and there's a million examples, but you get the point. 2,000 years of Christian History, proclaim, testify. We're not talking about a normal human birth here. We are talking about one who was born as no one else has been born. Born as fully human, yes, absolutely fully human, but begotten directly by the power of God, and so without sin. And this is the answer to Mary's question. This is the answer to Mary's doubts. And the angel sums it up at the end. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I know. I know it sounds impossible. And for you, it is. You could never do this. I could never do this. But God is here and he can. I like the way Fleming Rutledge, who's a brilliant theologian, put it. Natural processes could not have brought the Son of God. It is beyond the capacity of a human parent to produce a child who is God. Humankind cannot bring forth a Jesus any more than it can bring forth true and lasting peace. Only God can do it. Mary was just as helpless as Joseph to make this happen. The human impossibility is overcome by the irresistible power of God. The conception reminds us that human impossibility is overcome by the power of God. The conception reminds us that we need a miraculous, we need a miracle, we we need God to work, and we need a miraculous conception because we need a miraculous salvation. No fallen human was ever going to be the Davidic king who could represent his people or the son of man who could receive all authority for all eternity. Sin has made us powerless. We try and we try, we give it our best shot, but we are like little Kevin in Home Alone. We thought we could do it. Well, we find out we can't make life turn out right on our own. You know what faith is about? Faith is about trusting God's power where you are powerless. Faith is about trusting God's power where you are powerless. Faith is not about having all the answers. It's not about perfect understanding. It's about trusting God's power where you are powerless. This is the meaning of the virgin birth. We're stuck in our powerlessness, in our weakness, in our frailty. But God has moved to us. We're not left alone. The angel Gabriel has come crashing into the middle of this teenage girl's life to tell us that God has moved toward us to do for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. See, what is happening at Christmas? This is what Gabriel wants us to understand. What is happening at Christmas It's not from man, it's from God. That's what the annunciation declares. That's what the virgin birth signifies. And that's what gives us the gift of faith. And I want to point out Mary's faith. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Men and women, this is how you live a life that glorifies the Lord. She responds with faith and with humility. And let's not underestimate how difficult of a road it would have been. For nine months, she would have endured all kinds of problems. She'd be ridiculed by many. She would endure all kinds of rumors. She would be looked down upon, excluded. Her life would be a disgrace and a scandal. Joseph would probably reject her. We're not into that part of the story yet. We don't know how he's going to respond. If he does, that means not just heartbreak. It also means being destitute. She will likely become a beggar on the street. She will be financially insolvent. She will have a ruined reputation. She will have no relationships. And in the midst of all that, facing all of that, she says, okay, okay, I trust you. She says, I'm your servant. To be a servant means I have nothing on my own. It is all yours. You're calling the shots now. You're the captain now. You notice there's no negotiation. There's no demands. There's no rights. She is completely surrendered to the will of God. Where does Mary get that kind of faith? Well, I think God gave it to her in the words of the angel. And I think she probably repeated these words and played them again over and over and over again every time it got hard. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. This is one of the greatest faith-inducing statements in all of Scripture. She believed that he was powerful enough to do all that he has promised. Now, there's an important caveat here. You notice know, she made an important distinction. She said, according to your word. So it's not, you know, according to my desires, not according to my actions. She's saying God's power to keep his promises is what I can trust. That's what gives me faith. And this faith, this faith, that is the best gift Mary got that day. That's the best gift Mary got in her whole life. Listen to what St. Augustine said. This is true. Mary is more blessed in receiving the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. Her nearness as a mother would have been of no profit to Mary had she not borne Christ in her heart after a more blessed manner than in her flesh. The real gift Mary got was the faith to believe that God was doing what we were powerless to do. The faith to believe that he is coming to us. The faith to believe that he will represent us and that he will establish God's kingdom forever. So in the season of life you find yourself in right now, wherever you are, where do you need to respond like Mary? with faith. You know, maybe it's in what you believe about God, that this Jesus is who he claims to be, fully God, fully man, without sin, God in the flesh. Maybe it's something like the virgin birth. You say, you know, I don't believe in all that hocus pocus stuff. That's, that's impossible. I, I'll just follow the Bible's advice. I don't have to believe all that other stuff. You know what? Maybe God is calling you to believe this morning that nothing is impossible for him. That he didn't come just to give good advice. That he came to restore humanity and establish an eternal kingdom as the son of man. Maybe God is asking you to endure something you're not sure that you can. Maybe he's asking you to forgive something you're not sure that you can. You know what? Or maybe maybe life has been disappointing. Maybe you don't, you don't have the life you thought you would have. You haven't been able to make life work on your own despite your best efforts, and you've been working really hard at it for a long time. And you know what? Maybe this time of year, maybe the desires and the distractions of life have consumed you. You know, isn't it amazing that Christmas, at the same time, same time of year, at the same time, it is both the most spiritual and the most materialistic time of the year. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like every December, we're we're forced to choose what it is we are really celebrating. To choose who it is that is actually God. What really has our hearts and what really brings us joy? Is it all the stuff? Or is it Emmanuel, God with us in his kingdom? Whatever is going on in your life right there, remember this. To live a life of faith is to live each and every day living out the words of this young teenage girl. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, the best thing you can do, the best thing I can do this Christmas is to hand over our dreams, our plans, our agendas, our wants for something greater. His. His plans, his agenda, his promises. And when we do that, it's not a sacrifice. It is a gift. Faith that will do that is a gift. It's a gift because we get the son. We get to be restored to the God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. We get the pearl of great price for whom when we see his value, when we have the faith to see his value, we will gladly sell all that we have that we may gain him. You know, in our house, I'm sure in many of your houses, we make Christmas lists. Our kids write down Christmas lists and ask what they want for Christmas and what they want to receive. So I have up here, this is Hannah's Christmas list this year, stapled. Uh, we are at 55 items uh, and counting, I'm sure. Uh, it's a, it is a great list. Number 10 on the list, a motorcycle. It's a great gift, right? Yeah. Bron wants a motorcycle. Now, y'all, I, Claire, I asked, I was like, Hannah, is it like a toy motorcycle that you've seen somewhere? And she's like, no, Dad, a real motorcycle. Why would you even ask me that? It's a great list. Right after motorcycle, number 11, a whoopee cushion. It's a great list, right? This is what we do. We, we make lists. Here's the things I'm hoping for. Here's something to hope i to get. It, things maybe will make me happy. This Christmas, if you were to make a Christmas list to God, if you were asked what you really want, what you think will really bring you joy, what you really need, what would be on it? Well, if you're wise, there won't be a lot of stuff. I think if we're wise, there'll be one thing, faith. God, will you give me faith? So I challenge you this week amidst all the hustle and bustle and Christmas movies and whatever's going on, spend some time this week asking God, will you give me the faith of Mary? Maybe, you know what, maybe it'll help to literally write it down. Literally make a Christmas list to God with one thing on it. And write it down, write it down even as a prayer. Will you give me faith? Maybe start and end each day with the words of Mary. Say it as a prayer. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And when the distractions come, when the difficulties come, when the doubt comes, repeat that as to yourself as many times as you need. Teach your heart to trust God's power where you are powerless. And God will give you the gift of faith just as he did Mary.